Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. You know, I've been encouraging you all for about the last year to try to read the proverb every day, right? And whatever the date is, you read the proverb. Today's the 20th, and I've not read Proverbs 20 today. Uh, Sundays kind of get going fast once you wake up, and so uh, the mornings aren't as easy for me to, to me to read the Proverbs early, so I haven't read today, but most days I get to read the proverb um, and, and really like thinking through that. And, and um, one of the proverbs that I often think about is how a rich man has many friends. The Bible says that, right? And how a poor man is often lonely. But it goes further than that. It says the poor man is even a stranger to his brothers. <laughs> I know some families who've got that brother or sibling who's kind of out there and don't have their life together as much as everybody else and kind of seems to be distanced from the rest of them. It's kind of easy for life to go well when the money's there and you don't really have many needs. And once you get to thinking along those lines, you kind of know some people, don't you, who really just seem to have it all together, right? Y'all know some people like that, right? They don't really need any money and they're pretty smart and educated. Now that you think about it, they're actually pretty healthy and fit themselves. They're pretty strong. And Do y'all know some people like that? Might be us, right? Might be us ourselves. But let's not think about ourselves for right now. Let's think about everybody else that we know that's that way. They've got plenty of money. That's not their biggest worry. They're pretty educated. They know how to read. That's not their biggest worry. They've done a lot with their lives. They had health to work or they were involved in sports and they've done a lot. They've had health to travel. They've been able to go on vacation if they wanted to or they've been able to go to the beach. They've seen some things. They've flown in a plane. They've done this. They've done that. We all know some people who, man, they've really got it good, don't they? And again, that might be us, but for right now, let's think about the other people. They've really got it good. And then I want to ask you if in your heart you can believe, do they really have it good? And is that category of really having it good even influenced by those things? Because if the things that the Word of God is leading us to talk about when we're here, if that's really the case, good is a different thing. Having it good is a different setting, a different feeling, a different experience, a different idea, a different satisfaction. Jeremiah is one of God's most well-known prophets. There are 12, I think 12, minor prophets and a handful of major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're just major because they're bigger, really, and minor because they're smaller. And God's prophets are the ones, we've talked about this before, the ones that God 
told a message to his man, and then his man went and told it to the people. He was the go-between for the word of God. God sits in the heavens, sits on his throne, and has a message that he wants his people to hear. He gives it to the prophet. The prophet goes and says, thus saith the Lord. God says to you all. That's the prophet. And sometimes they listened to the prophet and said, yes, the word of God. And sometimes they didn't. They ignored it. Now, it's different because there's a prophet, but it's really no different in the way that you and I are. Sometimes we come to church and we're like, wow, that hit me right where I needed it. And sometimes we come to church and we don't remember the sermon even by lunch. And then sometimes we don't even go to church and we think, ah, it's not that important. I don't really need it. We know a lot of people who don't ever go to church anymore, and so whether I don't know what they're saying about it, they're clearly indicating that they don't need the Word of God. But a prophet is one who brings the Word of God. Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. Jeremiah's ministry was one that we would not have liked these days. It was all bad. It was all negative. It was all downhill. The people never listened to him. And Jeremiah was a prophet for a long time, a really, really long time. And he kept telling them that they need to listen to God. And he kept telling them that they need to repent. He kept telling them, if you don't repent, here's what's going to happen. And they never listened. And so God finally brought a full-out judgment and destruction upon them. For that reason, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he was always crying. He was always upset. He was always in mourning. You know why? Because the people that he was a part of didn't listen to God. Have you ever been burdened by that? Are you? The people that you're a part of aren't listening to God. This is who Jeremiah was. He's known as the weeping prophet. He preaches the word of God all the time, and the people of Israel that he is a part of don't listen. Well, I hope so. Miss Jeannie expressed it just by saying she looks at the directory and she sees people in the directory that she no longer sees in church anymore, and that bothered her, and it burdened her, and so she prayed for them, right? That's, that's part of that. I hope you know people that don't seem to be focused on the Lord now, and it weighs heavy on your heart. We all, I especially, but we all have family members that do not seem to listen to God, and that weighs on us. This is similar to who Jeremiah is and what he was feeling, except for he was the prophet. He's the one who brought some of the responsibility. He's the one who heard from God. And Jeremiah was often telling them that they are wrong. They are off. Judgment's coming and they need to repent. Well, look with me at Jeremiah chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Jeremiah chapter 8, starting in verse 18. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. 
My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? You see the picture? Jeremiah stands here to the people and says, y'all, listen to me. God has a message for you. Thus saith the Lord, repent and turn to him. He loves you. If not, he's going to destroy you. And they sit over there hearing him, but not hearing him, ignoring him, worshiping fake gods. Jeremiah weeps. Verse 20, the harvest is past. Summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Now let me stop for a second. I said it once already, I want to say it again. If what I'm preaching to you on Sunday mornings is not the absolute truth, then you don't understand this, right? Jesus walks out of the temple, his glory has departed Somebody points out the beauty of the temple and Jesus turns around and says, it's all about to be torn down. Well, tell us, when is this going to be? I'll tell you this, see that nobody leads you astray. A few more verses later, he starts talking about brothers killing brothers, dads killing sons, and children killing parents. Y'all, we're either right on track with the truth of God or we're crazy, or we're loony, or the watching world thinks that we are weirdos. Jeremiah understands, though. This is messing with Jeremiah. He is upset about it. Verse 22, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and test them for what else can I do because of my people. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully with his mouth. Each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? 
I will take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and a lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through and the lowing of cattle is not heard. Both the birds of the air and the beasts have fled and are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. God is opposed to ungodliness. Verse 12, who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts. Do y'all see this? And have gone after the Baals. Some people say it's Baal, Baal, false god. You see the next line? As their fathers taught them. It's hard to read when you have five kids. It's hard to read when you have five kids. The responsibility of having children is huge. You've heard me preach on that before, though, so I won't get hung up there. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. God is a holy and wrathful God for those who will not turn back to him. It is consistent throughout all of scripture. Verse 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the morning women to come. Send for the skillful women to come. Let them make haste and raise a wailing over us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined, we are utterly ashamed, we are utterly shamed because we have left the land, because they have cast down our dwellings. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a lament, and each to her neighbor a dirge. For death has come up, come up into our windows. It has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak thus declares the Lord. The dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. What is all of this? This is what Jeremiah's like. And if you didn't know, Jeremiah is long. Jeremiah is 52 chapters long. It is one long book. And you know what it is? All of that. In essence, the whole book is like I just read to you. Jeremiah is saying, hey, people, listen to God. You're neglecting God. You're, you're not listening to God. You don't care about God. You don't care what God's word says. You don't, you're not listening. You need to repent. You need to get right. And they don't. Jeremiah is upset over it, and he's mourning. The book of, the book of Lamentations comes right after Jeremiah, and he wrote that too. And it is just a, a further lamenting, a deeper of him just responding to how far away from God they are. And the message in the Bible is that God will send his judgment on you. 
if you will not repent. And then he says this in verse 23. And the reason why I read all of that from back to chapter 8, because it, it, it so makes this fit. These next two verses, folks, and I think it'd be good for y'all to know this, are my favorite two verses in the whole Bible. I got a lot of favorites, but this is my most favorite. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. These are my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and they sound really cool if you just read them by themselves, but they sound really heavy tonight after we've read all of that. Verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Why not? Remember I started off by talking to people about seem to have, remember I started off by talking about people who seem to have it all together, you remember that? Why shouldn't they boast? life's about God because life's about God life's not about you it's about God and only people who by the grace of God have had their have who have had their hearts turned to God get this you remember what I've said the past two weeks that yes the temple was impressive but knowing the context of Mark and all that Jesus has been through and all that Jesus has said, and Jesus had just cleansed the temple, cursed the temple, he just praised the widow for her two coins despite the rich people, all, knowing all of that, who gives a rip about the temple, right? And he's about to die so that people would actually know God. And the disciple turns around as he's walking out of the temple and says, man, that place is wonderful. Really? Is that really what you want to say right now? I don't know when the last time was you had to try to get on some kids or try to discipline them. But if it's one, then it's usually pretty heavy and they, they, they listen well. But if you've ever got a group of kids that you're trying to discipline, this is why I'm so in awe of teachers today because I just don't know how they would do it. But you're mad at them and you're trying to get on them and, I, and I'm serious and you're digging into them. If there's a couple... They're just about to lose it and bust out laughing in your face. And it just makes you furious, right? I'll have J.J., Eli, and Noah there, and I'll be about to lay into them. Y'all need to listen up. Now's not the time. And they'll just start laughing. Or they'll try to hold it in, or they'll say something funny. And it just makes you more furious. And you know, y'all have been there. You can't not laugh, too, because if your kids are laughing, you're laughing. I mean, it's, it's happy, but they shouldn't be laughing, Right? They shouldn't be laughing in that setting. After all that Jeremiah just said, God Almighty is against you because you worship false gods? Does it matter that you're wealthy? Does it matter that you're mighty? Does it matter that you're wise? Life's not about that. How ridiculous it is. We just heard Jeremiah with great depth and great heartfelt sorrow 
Talk about how wrong we are. How wrong they are. And to think that people would boast of who they are. Doesn't make sense. Guys, we need to have this sort of a faith. Our confidence, our security, our identity is to be in God and God alone. And we're not impressed by people whose confidence and security and identity is in these things. Which he gives three categories, wisdom and might and riches. Life's not about that. Don't get distracted by it. There's no place for boasting in those things when you're talking about the glory of God and our sinfulness against him. Thus says the Lord, don't boast in those things. As always, Joe does a really good job of picking songs. And in that last song, the last line says, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. Gifts, riches, power, might, wisdom. When people write songs, they're writing them based off the truth of Scripture, and that's a good song. Our call to worship was from Galatians chapter 6. Now, before I read to you this Galatians chapter 6 again, knowing the state of the prophets and knowing the state of Israel and Judah and Jeremiah preaching to them the way he did, what was the solution? What was God's solution to it? Well, he says it later in Jeremiah. He says, you're never going to obey me. So I'm going to circumcise your hearts. Remember that? New covenant language. I'm going to take out your heart and give you a new heart, and I'm going to cause you to love me. You don't love me right now. I'm mad at y'all. Y'all don't love me so much. So I'm going to do a work in you myself. I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to take out your heart that's dead, and I'm going to put a living heart inside of you. And when I give you a living heart, you will love me, and you will want to obey me when I do this work inside of you. That's what the prophets are going to get to, which further points out that the work circumcision, which the Old Testament law teaches them to do, the circumcision of the flesh doesn't provide anything there's no boasting in that Paul picks up both of these thoughts in Galatians 6 at the very end verse 12 of Galatians 6 it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh something you can boast in who would force you to be the circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. You know why he says that? Because nobody keeps the law fully. 
He says they've obeyed the law by being circumcised, but nobody fully keeps the law. You can't get saved that way. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast, and here's the language, boast in your flesh. Now look at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And look at verse 15 now. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The new creation, y'all, is what God does in our hearts when he saves us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and a new has come. New creation. God did this to me. God changed my heart. God saved me. God made me alive. And there's nothing else for us to boast in that we have done. Literally nothing. And if you understand sin like Jeremiah just described it, or you understand sin like Jesus just warned us this morning in Mark 13, there is nothing for us to boast in. There's nothing for you and I to stand upon. There's literally nothing. And the more and more we go to funerals, the more and more we're reminded that there's not a lot that you can say about somebody that comforts you past the here and now, that comforts you past the here. There's not much that you can say other than the saving grace of God and the love of God in Jesus. There are a lot of sweet memories, but there are very few comforts. The comfort is God. So at Jeremiah 9, in the midst of all of the weeping from the weeping prophet, he says, do not boast in wisdom and do not boast in might and do not boast in riches, but, and I love this, let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, boasting here, you know, a lot of times you and I think that boasting means bragging. But boasting also is meaning like the thing we find our confidence in. You know, sometimes you boast something without saying anything. I guess the saying boasting would be type of bragging and the, the, the finding your confidence in it would be this sort of boasting. We know and understand the Lord. We know and understand the Lord. I want to ask you here tonight, what is your confidence? What is your security? What is your identity And I pray that it's not, remember earlier I said, let's think about the other people, but now let's think about ourselves. I pray that it's not you. I pray that it's not who you are. I pray that it's not what you've done or your wisdom, your might, or your riches, but that it is you know God, your Father in heaven. You understand him. You know him. You know that he practices love. He practices justice. He practices righteousness. 
And you know that in that he delights. Can you imagine that message to a suffering and dying and sinful world that is being warned of the coming judgment? This is a message in Jeremiah 9 to the people of Judah. But it's also the one that Paul picks up on and gives at the end of Galatians. Far be it from me that I would boast in anything except in the cross of Christ. If you love God, it is only because he loved you first and did a work in your heart. If you obey God, it is only because he has put his power inside of you by the Holy Spirit and he is now pushing you and leading you and empowering you to obey him. If you want to love God and obey God, it is only because he has put that desire inside of you. In yourself alone, there is nothing that you can boast in. Our only boast is Jesus. Look at verse 25 and we'll be done. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in their desert, who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Wow. God says the days are coming when I'm going to punish you whether you've tried to obey or whether you've not obeyed. Don't let your confidence or your security or your identity be in things you've done. Let it be in him that you know him, that you understand him, that you love him, that he loves you, that you know how he deals with you, you know how he feels about your sins, you know how he is patient and yet he's forgiving and he's forgiving 70 times 7 as far as the east is from the west. Just go on and on and on in how you know him and understand him and he loves you and he's your father and he adopted you in and he's given you a name and a place and you are his, his, his and nothing, nothing, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You are his. If you want to have confidence, have confidence in that. That you understand and know God. No room for boasting anywhere else. Let's be a humble church, but confident that we know our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jeremiah and for the heaviness of a prophet's book. God, lately, as we've walked through Mark and now uh, with these funerals and now some of these passages, God, we are being reminded that life is heavy. But Father, that's true. You're the lifeline. You're the answer. You're the truth. Father, please work in our hearts to not find security or confidence 
or reason to boast in anything we've done, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, no might, no wisdom, no riches. But let it be in you. Jesus loves us. Jesus died for us. Jesus was obedient every single way that we are not. And he loves us and accepts us. Father, thank you for that. We know you and we understand you because your word is here before us. You have explained yourself to us, God, and we cannot get enough. May we boast in that. God, give our hearts full confidence. We ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. You're dismissed. Have a good night.